Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is discussing underrated NBA players and teams, but we're not doing this episode alone today because we have a first-time guest here on the Hoop Talk Podcast, so please welcome from Goaded NBA News, Thomas Christian. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, really excited to get this podcast going. Thomas, how are you doing today, man? Uh, doing good. Uh, I'm from goadednbanews.com. So that's a, a little media startup. We we just started uh, last July, and uh, we've just introduced our first writer that isn't me. So we're excited for that. Uh, that's going to be coming out uh, article on every, every Sunday from our my man, Jordan. And then I've got an article dropping today. Uh, every, every Wednesday, we drop articles. And then on Fridays, we have a live podcast show hosted by the Warzone Sports Network. So uh, tune in at 4 p.m. PST, Pacific Standard Time, uh, for the Goaded Show Live. That's what I was about to get into, your, your show, Goaded NBA News. Where can people find it? Uh, YouTube, the Warzone Sports Network, or uh, we do record the show and then put it on Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever else you find your podcast. That's good to know. And of course, we've got the link in the description down below when the episode drops. This is a different format today for the Hoop Talk podcast. We are giving Thomas full control of the topics. So Jalen and I don't know what teams or players he's picked. So this should be a really fun episode. So Thomas, I want you to start with, with some of your underrated teams. All right. So I, I came here today and I've been going around to different shows and giving this spe specific take. And I I've had some really mixed results. I've almost been laughed off of a podcast before, but I'm here <laughs> to spread the gospel of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. I'm not saying they're going to be like a team to beat in the Western conference, mm -hmm. but just in terms of a play in team, which for a minute by Minnesota standards, being a play in team is like winning a championship. So <laughs> I'm, I'm here to say it. I think if you get 60 to 70 games out of Carl Anthony Towns, 60 to 70 games out of D'Lo, and Anthony Edwards takes literally a step in the right direction, a singular step in the right direction, then I think that they are going to be a, a play-in team this NBA season. Ryan, I want you to take this one first, bro. This is an ode to our last episode right here. I'm loving it. I mean, this was a great start. I mean, with the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think the play-in team, I think they're, they're, def they're definitely a play-in team. I think with the way the Western Conference lines up, they could even be a playoff lock because I think outside of the top five teams, it's really hard to decipher who can be, who could fill out the rest of the Western Conference, should I say. And Minnesota this year has so much talent around that the one thing they need to work for them is for Carl Anthony Towns to play at least 60 to 70 games because if he's healthy, this team can be a dangerous team going forward in the playoffs. But Jalen, I know you have a lot to say about the Minnesota Timberwolves, considering we just talked about this in our Storylines episode. Yeah, so Thomas, you are not on this train by yourself, bro. This is actually one of the teams that I have brought up. 
I brought up one of the I brought up this team along with uh, we we discussed this a little bit briefly in terms of some of our storylines, our underrated storylines we're looking at this year. And we talked about whether or not the Timberwolves can really be the real deal this year. I think getting rid of Gerson Rosas was like a big move for them because it seemed like in the front office, there's a lot of toxicity going on. And, you know, everything breeds from the top. I don't think that made things any easier. Um, we haven't really seen, like you said beforehand, 60 to 65 plus games of Carl Anthony Towns in like what, at least two to three seasons. I think that's that alone is something that I think if you can, you know, put that to your bank. And of course, that's difficult to do because injuries are factored in. But if we can get at least even 50, 55 games of Carl Anthony Towns, I think there could be a significant jump in the standings for them. Not to mention Anthony Edwards, I think in year two, he's grown two inches. He's committed a little bit more on the defensive end from what we saw during summer league and the preseason a little, uh, mainly the preseason. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, I think is going to be really solid as a two-way player for them. Um, I, I am with you, man. I think Minnesota is going to be a really interesting team. And if you go across the standings, right, the Pelicans without Zion, I think Minnesota is better than them. The Rockets, I think they're okay. I think they're going to put up a lot of points. I still think Minnesota is better. When you talk about OKC, you know they're tanking. So we're not really worried about them from a standing standpoint. And then from there, it gets kind of tricky. I think I think against the the, the Kings, for example, I think they have at least two, if not three, of the top five players on the floor in a matchup like that, that's favorable for them. I mean, that's already three teams. You only got to beat out two more to just be in the play-in tournament, so that's huge. But, like, expand a little bit more on why you think that Minnesota is, like, in this underrated category, besides the fact that I feel like a lot of people aren't paying attention to them. Well, I like the fact that you brought up all of those, like, matchups with other bottom-of-the-table Western Conference teams because – that's kind of the Minnesota Timberwolves main uh, competition. I don't know what that sort of spirit, what sort of intangibles they're playing with out in Minnesota, but if they, if they care at all about winning, they're going to take a matchup on a Wednesday night against the Sacramento Kings extremely seriously. Right? <laughs> they're going to take all these like tiny little games extremely seriously because for their season, it really matters. I also think like, I, I do have to say, I, I actually kind of liked Gerson Rosas's a lot of his moves. Uh, I know that, you know, there was a whole situation. He was kind of out of there by the end of it. But uh, <laughs> right. if you look back at the the last year and a half of, of Minnesota Timberwolves moves, it, it actually looks pretty good. He's able to get Andrew Wiggins off the roster. He took over right after uh, Thibodeau left and the whole Jimmy Butler thing. Uh, so uh, he, he I think he piloted them into an, uh, an interesting position. I, I hope that they take the like a lot of it also was the toxicity was that he wasn't taking the advice of other front office executives, right? Mm -hmm. But then you think about it, those front office executives are front office exec executives of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So if you're not <laughs> taking their advice, like, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, that's fair. That's a fair point. But uh, I, I think I think D'Angelo Russell is one of those players that he doesn't get enough love nowadays. Like, he, he was so popular when he played in Brooklyn and then he went to the Warriors and then he went to the T-Wolves and all of a sudden it's almost like uh, people have decided that we now don't like D'Angelo Russell and I just think that it's unfair. He's not just a pick and roll player. He can, he can do a lot more. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see a lot from him and then him playing off of Cat. I, I think that's going to be a really interesting offense. 
So let me ask you a question because me and Ryan talked about this briefly and I want to get Ryan's further thoughts after I kind of ask you this. And it has to do with Ben Simmons. Now, me and Ryan have made a pact on this podcast to try to avoid (laughs) following this Ben Simmons debacle too closely because the mainstream media kind of does all the heavy lifting for us, right? So we try to stay away from this topic as much as humanly possible. But when we talk about these underrated teams, there is that swing factor of if you make a trade for an all-NBA caliber player and former all-star player, that is potentially the, the kind of move that will put you more in the conversation to be somebody to be a team on the on the uptick to be a team that maybe people should be paying a little bit more attention to. So um, I'm going to ask you first and then go to Ryan. What are your thoughts on the idea of a T-Wolves trade involving Ben Simmons? We've gotten mixed results as well in regards to this topic specifically, specifically with the T-Wolves because of the fact that they seem like the team that wants to make the trade the most, but they're the, also the most intriguing team from a storyline standpoint in terms of making the exchange because we know D'Lo might have to be involved. That involves Carl Anthony Towns in its own respects because of off-the-court things, and then that makes the trade kind of wonky. So where do you stand on the idea of trading for Ben Simmons? Would you, wouldn't you, everything in between? Yeah, I think if we're playing like a game of 2k where like there's no personality involved and Mm -hmm. kind of just rig the trades. Uh, If you just put Ben Simmons on the Timberwolves and didn't take anyone away from the Timberwolves, that'd be Mm -hmm. a really good team. Um, I I don't know if it's a championship winning team, but that'd be a nice team. Uh, But it it is kind of comes down to what you're giving up for Ben Simmons. And we'll have to see what that is. If, if it's like a James Harden situation where they just, give up Victor Oladipo and get James Harden. Like that'd be pretty nice, but uh, we'll have to, we'll have to see uh, w- what that return looks like. I do think that Ben Simmons and Carlton Towns, that's a really nice fit together though. So Ryan, like I said, we we've obviously already kind of like talked, talked about this briefly, but the Ben Simmons saga is continuing and it's kind of getting more complicated after Ben Simmons just got suspended for the opening night game um, later on today due to some, you know, misconduct during practice. So this is becoming more and more uncomfortable by the day. And it's starting to become one of those things where I think the panic button on whether or not Daryl Morey is going to have to speed up this trade process is starting to kind of come to uh a point where I think it's getting kind of climatic. So, Ryan, have your thoughts on a potential Ben Simmons trade to Minnesota changed at all? Um, if so, in what way? If not, just what are your overall thoughts on on Ben Simmons on Minnesota or how even how Minnesota might fare if they just choose to keep the roster as is? Before I talk about Ben Simmons possibly going to Minnesota, can we talk about the fact that he literally just dropped the ball and left? He, he just dropped the ball and left practice. True. So tell the, the cameras. <laughs> so the other thing that I was thinking about with, with this possible trade, and I kind of want to pose a question to you guys, huh? which point guard wins you more games, D'Angelo Russell or Ben Simmons? I got Ben Thomas. Uh, sorry, that just lagged out real quick. Could you uh, repeat that? Yeah. So, which point guard could win you more games, D'Angelo Russell or Ben Simmons? Uh, I guess that would de- depend on the version of Ben Simmons. Yeah, but, uh, I would have to say I would have to say I would rather have Ben Simmons from a talent perspective. So, 
I personally think I, I'm my stock is not in Ben Simmons anymore. Like the respect level that I had for him just has just has gone down significantly. And I just don't like the way he's handling the situation in Philadelphia. And I'm not sure if it's going to get any better if he leaves Philadelphia. Is he going to act like this on Minnesota? Because I don't even think Minnesota will put up with that. So I think that's that's the other thing that I was thinking about when Jalen posed this question. And I'm just not sure what his trade value is. And I've, I've said this a lot here on this podcast. I'm not 100% sure what Ben Simmons' trade value is. Is it the four first-round picks that Daryl Morey claims – Ben Simmons is worth is it two of your best players if it's two of your best players Minnesota is losing two of its best scorers possibly in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley who were difference makers on this team D'Angelo Russell has elite scoring ability and Malik Beasley in the time that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell were both out he was able to take over in that stretch and go off and be the league scorer for this team so I find it very hard to believe that Minnesota under new ownership is going to take a risk on Ben Simmons. And I don't know how much of a difference maker he will be on this team. Ryan, I think that's an interesting point that you made about the new ownership aspect of it. That That's the question. Is new ownership in the mode where they're in a no tolerance, no nonsense kind of vibe where they kind of just want the roster as is and they want to be able to kind of trot this out um, under the circumstances that this might be the first time we get to see D'Lo Cat and Anthony Edwards all together healthy for a significant stretch, or if they're the kind of front office that wants to see early results, and with that, they feel as though they need to shake up the room a little bit with a trade that could involve Ben Simmons um, in the mix. So I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to factor into. The, the front office might actually have a lot more to do with this um, from Minnesota's perspective than even Ben Simmons does in terms of his trade value. Because I think if the front office is committed on one side or the other, I think the trade will or won't happen just based on that decision alone. I don't think this is simply about Ben Simmons' trade value or his talent anymore. Uh, Thomas, what's what's the next team you got on this, uh, this underrated list? Uh, yes, the next team, underrated uh, in terms of what I think they can do because cool. I think that – a lot of people have the Golden State Warriors as a contending team, but okay. I, I think they're I think they're still underrated in terms of like a contender's uh, like pedigree. I guess mm-hmm. just just based off the fact that you, you get uh, Clay Thompson coming back, you've already got Stephen Curry, who was the league leader in points, he was the scoring leader last year, uh, and now you've got. I think that a lot of people are, are too focused on the rookies, on Wiseman, on Kaminga, on uh, Moses Moody. You're, you have you should look for the Warriors. You should be looking at the other veteran players, the players who are really going to be contributing in a playoff situation. Uh, guys like Jordan Poole, Nemanja Bielitsa, uh, Andre Iguodala, that they're going to be the ones filling in the margins in a playoff uh, scenario. I, I think they're quite dangerous without any of their new players and so then you add them in and and really the sky's the limit yeah i think if you saw the game last night you pretty much saw a preview of how dangerous this warriors team could be and i think it was in the fourth quarter when jordan Poole hit a couple of big shots and 
Also, Steph Curry last night going off for a 21-10-10 and triple-double, and he said in the postgame that he could have done better. I think that's insane, considering that we still – I feel like – Reggie Miller said this last night on TNT. We still have – we still have yet to see the best of Steph Curry, even though we've already seen the best of Steph Curry already. I still feel like there's more, there, there's more to see. And there's, there's so much more yet to come with Steph Curry. Also, when you talk about a lot of these role players, Nemanja Bialica was huge last night in that win 15 points on six of seven shooting from the field, or I think it was um, shooting from three. He was going crazy last night as a role player. And there, there's so much talent outside of the rookies that it's so easy to pick who could be an X factor on this team. And we, we talked about this with our Western Conference episode. Jordan Poole is seen by a lot of these, a, a lot of you know experts and fans as an X factor for the Warriors. I think he could be dangerous going forward as a lethal scoring threat coming off the bench. And when Clay Thompson returns. I think you can automatically label this team as a contender, but I can see why you why you see this team as underrated because Clay Thompson is not even on the roster yet, and they're putting up some great games. You saw a, a little bit of a sample in the preseason and also with the first game of the season against the Lakers last night, but there is so much more to come, M- much like with Steph Curry's play throughout his career and, and um, in his career to come. There's so much more to see with this Warriors team. Yeah, so I think my thought process on Golden State from the beginning has been that they are already better than last year because their depth makes a lot more sense. I think bringing Iggy back is huge. And there was a stretch down there. Look, Juan Toscano-Anderson, he he can do his thing down there with the uh, with the threes and fours, but he was having a hard time with Anthony Davis last night. And intriguingly enough, there were short spurts where they put Iggy on AD, and it made a significant difference, especially in the post area. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. Braun and AD still did their thing. I think they combined for somewhere around like 40 uh, – for like uh, 67 points, something like that. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. They definitely did their thing. But, I mean, bringing back Iggy was huge. I think bringing in guys like Abelie, to Otto Porter. Um, I think they flesh things out. And, and I've made this point to Ryan before, Thomas, and I kind of want to get your thought process, um, pro, uh, process on it, is my biggest thing with Clay Thompson is not even really about the idea of bringing like 100% Clay back, right? The idea of getting a guy who's coming off, coming off of two season-ending injuries we're, we're putting this faith in him where a lot of people are trying to peg him as he's going to return in a Kevin Durant-esque space because his play style doesn't require a lot of athleticism as a main, as a, as a shooter. Um, he's a guy who's going to be able to come back in and still be, you know, a semblance of the defensive self that he was before. I don't even think it's that deep. I think getting Klay Thompson is huge. And if you can get him to that extent, that raises your floor even more but the biggest thing for me is with a talent like clay thompson it bumps the pecking order of the depth chart down in a way that helps really flesh out their roster now all of a sudden jordan Poole is the lead scorer facing second units um coming off the bench you have andre iguodala still next to him as a veteran presence um there auto porter on the second unit and being bielita now by bringing in clay thompson you bump Jordan Poole to being a lead guy on a second unit, kind of Jordan Clarkson as for Utah. And it puts you in a position where now you legitimately go, you know, 
10 deep in a way that works in your favor. What are your thoughts on that in terms of where how Clay Thompson helps with the depth chart? Because I think that I think that might be the biggest asset of getting a guy like that back. Yeah. Well, look, so the Warriors are my team. I've been a Warriors okay. fan. Ever. I grew up in, in the Bay in San Francisco, rooting for the Warriors forever. Uh, but I think one of the things that people kind of forget about the Warriors is how Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and Draymond Green play off each other that like their games like their their play styles fit perfectly together right you've got Steph the guy who can dribble and shoot you got Clay the guy who can play defense and shoot and you got Draymond the guy who can play make dribble and not shoot but play defense so it's (laughs) like to put it simply but basically like that's that three right there you don't need Clay Thompson to be like some all-star player you just need clay thompson to be able to do clay thompson things because the three of them together is kind of an unstoppable force and then on top of that you have stephen curry who's probably going to be putting up mvp caliber numbers this season he did last year so we could and then you put on a depth chart in front of that you know last time they had a, a team this deep and those three players around them they went 73 and nine so We'll have to see what happens this year, but I, I do think that come playoff time, if they have any version of Clay Thompson, that's mm-hmm. going to raise their ceiling by any amount, right? And then uh, on top of that, you've got sixth man of the year candidate Jordan Poole. I think that's going to be a really interesting lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Golden State is such an interesting aspect because I agree with you from like talking about them underrated because it feels like people have them like in the mix for the one through eight, but they're having this weird like uh, dichotomy about where exactly in that one through eight they land, especially because last year made things so fuzzy with falling to the Lakers and Memphis to get bumped out um, of the of the playoff mix. So I think I think that's so intriguing because the other thing too to talk about when it comes to um, the Warriors and Ryan, I guess I'll pass it to you this way is we talked about this a little bit when we did the Western Conference preview, but I think it makes it makes things even more intriguing now that we've seen the Warriors on the floor is everybody's under this assumption that the West is kind of down because, you know, the Clippers are missing Kawhi, the Nuggets are missing um, Jamal Murray. And you run into this weird issue of like, we feel like the Lakers are a championship contender, but how are they fair in the regular season? This is something that me and Ryan have gotten some significant backlash about in terms of our feelings on that. But there's still Phoenix. There's still Utah in terms of the regular season. And then you come to wonder what other teams are going to take the regular season really seriously. Ryan, I think that Golden State, kind of like what I mentioned when I talked about Dallas in that Western Conference breakdown, I think Golden State is going to be one of those teams that's going to want to take the regular season really seriously to have a favorable seed and put themselves in a position where they're not fighting for position at the end of the year with a returning Clay Thompson trying to bring him back to speed and then some and force him to push himself just to qualify for the playoffs. Where do you stand on that, Ryan? Because I think that's an important thing to factor in too is we might not know how these teams all stack up against one another, but I think we have a little bit of an understanding of how seriously some teams are going to take the the regular season as opposed to others. I think a lot of the points you made are valid because I think this Warriors team wants to avoid what happened to them last year as a play-in team. This is a team right now that I think their ceiling could be the fourth seed. I think with the way that everything is working out, this is a very underrated team, like Thomas mentioned. 
And I think when they get Clay Thompson back, they could be better. But I have them at four because of Utah, Phoenix, and Denver. I think right now Utah, Phoenix, and Denver will have better regular season records than the Golden State Warriors. But I think it will be interesting to see what happens with the Golden State Warriors, especially when they get Clay back. Is Clay Thompson going to be the same player that he was before he was injured? And we talked about this during our storyline episode. They have so much talent around around the Warriors that they can make a run for the playoffs without Clay Thompson mm-hmm. because of the fact of, of the fact that they built they built this team around their strengths. They built this team around three point shooting. So you go out and you get a couple of good three point shooters and Otto Porter and Nemanja Bielitsa. You bring back fan favorite Andre Iguodala. We really didn't see much of Jonathan Kaminga or Moses Moody last night, but I think they're going to get some pretty good playing time um, throughout the season for the Golden State Warriors. So I think as an underrated team, that just seems about right. But it's 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 weird because they have this dynamic of being underrated, but also being labeled as, as a contender. So I think that's going to be very interesting to see um, throughout the season. So, Thomas, we're two for two on the Western Conference. What's your next underrated team you got in the pool for us? You know, I got to say, I was looking at these teams just now. They're all Western Conference teams. So we're just going to be sticking to that. That's a good thing. That's an interesting. Okay, so we'll get to that. So we had, uh, what, two or three more teams to talk about. When we wrap them up, I want to talk to you about that because I think that's an intriguing point that all of your teams fall in the Western Conference. But what's your next one? It might be it might be something with I'm just on the West Coast and I That's, that's fair, too. Uh, but my third team to watch, like not not necessarily an underrated team, but a team that I'm going to be having my eyes on this entire okay. season is uh, the Phoenix Suns. I think okay. that there's an underrated storyline here that it broke. What was that Tuesday or I guess Monday? DeAndre Ayton was not right. offered a max contract. Mm-hmm. That was really surprising. Uh, the last out of the last ten players that have uh, been a number one overall pick, I guess. Well, eight of them have signed a max contract. We're talking about Andrew Wiggins. The only two that haven't been signed to a max contract after their rookie deal, uh, Markel Fultz and Anthony Bennett. Yeah. Markel Fultz injuries. We're, we're going to, we're, we're, we're praying for you out in Orlando, Anthony Bennett. That's kind of a, a random case there, so, but every number one overall pick basically gets a max contract. I mean, we saw Andrew Wiggins. It was, please improve Andrew Wiggins. And then he got a max contract. Uh, So I think this year, the fact that DeAndre Ayton didn't get that max, I don't know if he's going to try and request a trade or try and get some sort of uh, team deal or or do something later in the season. But until he gets that deal, that's going to be a really interesting uh, development because he's only under contract until this year. So they got to get a deal done or they're going to lose DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, so Ryan, I'm going to pass it to you in this aspect because I think that what Thomas is saying about this being an underlying storyline is going to be so important because of the fact that we already have this weird um, assumption about the center position, kind of similar to the running back position in the NFL, that it's kind of devalued and that you can kind of put a revolving door of guys through the draft or through um, pickups, buyouts, things like that, to kind of just fill that center role. and. In this case, we're talking about a guy in DeAndre Aiden who pretty much did everything that he was asked outside of being like a superstar 
level player. This is a guy who set hard screens, played well on defense, improved significantly as a defensive player, by the way, as a guy who was not viewed very highly coming out of Arizona. I mean, he pretty much did all the dirty work, which is something for a finesse player like DeAndre Ayton kind of took a lot, you know, to get to that point. I think that's a Monty Williams. I think that's a, you know, that's a, a pledge on his, on in his favor or a feather in his cap, I should say, because of the fact that he was able to get him to commit. But the fact that now he's being, you know, pretty much bit in the ass for, for a better way to, you know, phrase it for doing just that and putting them in a position to go to the finals. I think that's the scary part. And, and Ryan, the other part that I want to, you know, bring up before I pass it to you is, you know, they're other they they're in another position where they've signed a handful of guys or at least given extensions to a handful of guys in between that as well. Um, and that's the part that makes it tricky. Yeah, Mikel Bridges is one of them, but also um Landry Shemit, who they acquired as well, got an extension. That's a and that makes me so nervous. So Ryan, where do you stand on all this with 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 DA? Because that I think that last part with Mikhail and Landry getting paid before DeAndre, I think that's the part that scares me the most. I want to say this real quick about DeAndre Ayton because if they let DeAndre Ayton walk, whether it's in free agency or requesting a trade and they don't give him the max, this is their that will be their worst nightmare because <sighs> That DeAndre Ayton improved significantly from his time as the number one overall pick in 2018 to now. Mm -hmm. And I think that playoff run really solidified the reason why you should give him the max. Now, I don't know what their plans are. Hopefully they do end up giving him the max, but I don't think JaVale McGee is the answer as to, as to the long-term center for the Phoenix Suns because he's a good backup center which is, which is great in terms of why you brought him in because the reason why the, the Suns really didn't win the NBA Finals was because they didn't have somebody to back up DeAndre Ayton when he was going up against Giannis and Brooke Lopez. So I think it's very important for, for the Suns to at least give uh, Ayton the max because they need to shore up the future for the Phoenix Suns and especially as a contender like he was a huge part of their success not only in the bubble but also throughout the regular season and the playoffs last year so I think it's very important that he gets the max I just think it's also really interesting that they haven't that that should have been the top priority in the offseason now I understand you know re-signing uh Mikel Bridges to an extension and then giving Landry Shamit an extension because I think those will be two great those will be two great players for your team uh, in this upcoming season. But I think the priority is to sure up the future of your number one overall pick. So I think that's going to be very interesting going forward. And hopefully they don't make the mistake of laying and walk. So Thomas, here's where I stand on something and I want to kind of pass it to you in this way. So we saw them pick up Jalen Smith um, in the lottery Um a season ago, which was pretty mind blowing to most watching the draft that night. And don't get me, don't get it twisted. He's a Maryland guy. So us out here on the East coast <laughs> felt pretty okay with it at, at the time, despite the fact that it was a smidge high. Um, some may have chalked it up to a, they just did it with Cam Johnson the year before. Maybe there's a diamond in the rough. James Jones is back at it again. They also pick up JaVale McGee in the off season. They know that they still have Dario Sarge under contract. 
Do you think that any of that has to do with why they've been so reluctant to give DA the max? And the other thing that I want to bring to your attention and have you speak on is Robert Sarver is a pretty cheap guy from what my understanding is notoriously. This is a guy who does not like to throw his paper or I guess put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. And it sounds like from reports that DA is asking for a Trey Young level max. So your thoughts on the depth having any effect on this and your thoughts on the idea of DA being comparable to Trey Young at what he does as opposed to what Trey Young does for the Atlanta Hawks. Well, I love the, uh, what, what you brought up in, in that they have Jalen Smith, JaVale McGee, Frank, and uh, Dario Sharks. That's four centers backing up DeAndre Ayton. And the idea that you can just play center by committee is true, but you can't just grab a center off the street because we saw in Jalen Smith, uh, he can't really play. Uh, so we, 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 for me personally, I have DeAndre Ayton as a top five center in the NBA, and I have him as pound for pound, the best rebounder in the NBA. I don't know what your take is on, on DeAndre Ayton, but I think that's relatively fair. Quite honestly, he didn't show like a lot until he, we got to the playoffs and until he got put on players like Jokic, put on players like Giannis, where we saw like right in front of our eyes, oh, this guy's really valuable because of what he brings in the defensive end. Uh, against uh, a, a team's best player, he can be that guy who can take that assignment and basically have that be a winning solution in the playoffs. Uh, a Trey Young level max, I actually, this is going to be my article coming out today. Okay. So uh, DeAndre Aiden, uh, he's eligible for $172 million over five years. That breaks down to $34.4 million per year about, because uh, I know that you do like some sort of scaling with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would take them next year uh, with the other 10 or 11 players they have on the roster to about $155 million. The cap is about 112 right now. We know that's going to be raised to probably like 115 or so. So you're in the luxury tax by about 40 million. However, you're not the biggest salary sheet in the league. Milwaukee's beating them. The LA Clippers are beating them. The Lakers are beating them. And uh, I think the Denver Nuggets are actually ahead of them. And so you bring up this whole luxury tax thing, how it's only people who uh, like big market teams that can afford that. You've got Denver and Milwaukee paying over 40 million in the luxury tax. So I, I am sure that a market that's actually like Phoenix is low key and underrated market. Like they, they're not a small market team. They're, they're like a medium big market team, not in LA, not in New York, but they, they have, they have people. And so I think it's, it's kind of laughable that you could really just, Sign Aiton to the max. You've got Aiton, Bridges, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. Just let the title start rolling in. Let the finals appearances start rolling in. But, uh, I mean, if Robert Sarver is really going to screw this up, that's I don't think that Phoenix Suns fans would actually forgive him for that. Thomas, here's my thing. I'm so glad you brought that portion of, of this up in terms of the teams that are going to have a higher cap sheet than them when, when we go into next year, with even with an Aiton max, is what do they all have in common? They are committed to championship, right? The window for them is small in one way or another. Even with, you know, Nicole Jokic, he's still a relatively younger player. Obviously, um, with Jamal Murray, he's still in the young ages too. Michael Porter Jr., so on and so forth. Even though I would say out of the group that we listed, 
that Denver is really the only team in kind of still the early stages of what seems to be like a, a building franchise. Every other team within that that range is on a timetable for one reason or another, right? Whether it's because they have an MVP caliber player on their team, whether it's significant age across the roster and in the likes of like maybe the Lakers, for example, there's there's something that makes it where there's a win now window for the team and they have to capitalize on it. Phoenix has been bad for a while and Chris Paul opened up an opportunity for them, but with a player like that at the age that he is, at the number that he's grossing in over, I think, the next two seasons, this is a guy who has a window that they're working within. And this idea that Robert Sauber would not maximize it makes me nervous because I think Phoenix is going to be put in a position where they're going to go back to being bad way sooner than anticipated. So, Ryan, I- I'm going to pose the question to you like this. Um, and it's, a, it's based off a lot of what Thomas said before, because I, I thought I, I thought that was a great point. My thing with this is, and you mentioned it a little bit, it's talking about the idea of whether or not they were to let D.A. walk or to trade him. Let's get into the mind of Robert Sauber for a minute, and that's probably a dark cave to go into, but let's just try <laughs> our best. In this circumstance, we're talking about a guy who just played out of his mind throughout the Western Conference playoffs. So let, we can talk about the road to get there at a different date. But considering the circumstance, he ran into a, a handful of centers, A.D., Nicole Jokic. He ran into a couple of heads along the way that for his position were pretty, you know, A1 level matchups. And he, he played his part and played at a high level. Ryan. if you're a Robert Sarver and you are stuck to your guns of the idea of, I'm not paying this man because it sounded like the biggest issue was the five year instead of the four. I think that was the biggest thing that was making the difference for D.A. was that he wanted the full five. And it sounded like the four was the only thing being offered, at least at least at its maximum offer. Are you going to let D.A. walk knowing the kind of money? So and so, quote unquote, that would be freed up by choosing not to. uh, Not to sign him. Or would you trade him? And if you're going to trade him, Ryan, the caveat to this is who are, let's pick like two or three teams, Ryan, that are on your radar for a DA trade if that's the route you would go. So I just am not sure why he would want to trade DeAndre Ayton. And I I brought it up a little bit because I'm not 100% sure what the mindset is behind DeAndre not being signed yet. Is it because is it because of the extra year? Maybe so, but regardless if of the extra year, you gotta pay this man. He 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 brought you, he helped bring Phoenix to the finals for the first time since 1993. He helped bring Phoenix to the playoffs for the first time since I believe it was 2012, 2011, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. But they, they had a very long playoff drought, did the Phoenix Suns. So I think if you're going to trade him, which, again, it's the worst move you could possibly make is to trade DeAndre Ayton instead of signing him to a max extension. And I'm going to say this with Colin Sexton as well with Cleveland because I think they, he should also be signed to a max extension. If you trade him, I kind of thought about this for a second, and I want to get your opinion on this. Okay. Do you trade him to Miami for Bam Adebayo? Oh, Thomas. I think it's an interesting thing because wherever 
DeAndre Ayton goes, uh, the team wouldn't want to trade for him unless they get a guarantee that he's going to re-sign with them, right? He's only got one right. year left on that deal. So DeAndre Ayton has a, has a really large amount of, of leverage in any potential trade talks because he can basically say, well, I'm not going to re-sign them. And then right. they're not going to trade for him. I, I think a team like Miami, because they're kind of a bigger market, that's going to be an attractive team for um, for for, uh, for DeAndre Ayton to go to. I also want to bring up the point, and I've heard this. This is, I guess, a little bit counter to our hyping of DeAndre Ayton, is that Chris Paul does kind of tend to make his centers look really good. Okay. Uh, DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan was basically a first-team All-NBA with – Chris Paul, uh, we saw Clint Capella have like the best field goal percentage of his career in Houston with Chris Paul. So I do want to bring up this counterpoint. I do think that's why Robert Sarver doesn't want to sign DeAndre Ayton. But when you look at his impact, it's more on the on the defensive end that where I, I see him really standing out where I see him stand, like Chris Paul can't help DeAndre Ayton get rebounds. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh I think I think a Bam Adebayo, Chris Paul, Devin Booker thing that would be the spiciest NBA team in the league. That would be so fun to watch. Um, but it really comes down to whatever whatever team is in DeAndre Ayton's mind. I think that's a fun idea, Ryan, that you brought up in the idea that um, the versatility at the big position for Phoenix is not too crazy. They have forwards out the wazoo, you know what I mean? In terms of the three spot, they have a lot of those guys. Mikhail does this a lot and Cam to a certain extent um, move to the four a handful of times. And I think when they try to play small, there's a lot of instances where Jay Crowder plays the four and they'll have Mikhail Bridges at the three, different things like that. But at that five, I think Dario Sarge is probably the, the most versatile guy they've really had play that, that five-man spot. And so Bam is interesting in that aspect. I think the other thing that makes that so interesting is that, I mean, I don't know what you guys' opinion on this is, but especially with the, the current roster looking at Miami, they don't look like a strong rebounding team at all, like to me personally. I don't know where I stand on – I don't know where you guys stand on that, but they don't look like a very strong rebound rounding team as currently constructed. And I definitely think that – a guy like DeAndre Ayton helps maximize that for them. Um, I mean, really? That's, that's weird. You know, it's, it's a weird but intriguing trade. I think it's one of those things where I go back to what you both said beforehand, which is if you if you have the option, which as Sarver, you do, don't don't trade the dude. Don't let him walk either. You, you pay the dude what he's worth. And under these circumstances, you pay the man what he's asking for. Um, I don't, I I have trouble figuring out how it, how a team that's been on the low end this long feels like they can pull their punches. Um, that's an intriguing point by itself, but it's going to be interesting. Thomas, I think that's a great point in terms of bringing up Phoenix as one of the teams that we need to watch more so for what's going on off the court, as opposed to what's going on on the court, because I think that in terms of their contract, the long-term implications will have a lot to do with not only how Aiden plays this season, but also just, you know, how they plan on sharing this whole thing up. Um, so we're on team number four now. Who we got? Okay. All right. Uh, this one, another Western Conference team, and it's one of my favorites. It's the Memphis Grizzlies. They are employing the team, team building strategy known as hitting on every single one of your draft picks and drafting all the young best players in the league. And then for some reason, signing Justice Winslow. Uh <laughs> But here we are. 
here we are. They've got John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. No, Dylan Brooks looks like he's still going to stunt on these hoes. Uh, we 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 don't know where uh, Grayson Allen went, but I just like maybe their top end talent is kind of mid, but they're such a deep team and they have so much like young talent where I, I just see if they get John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., kind of like the Minnesota Timberwolves, they just get 60, 70 games out of them, if, especially Jaron Jackson Jr. there. Uh, then I really see them being a play- we, we saw them make the playoffs last year. Uh, they beat the Warriors. I, I didn't see that coming. I was crying in my room watching that game. Uh, but I, I, th- I think that they're one of those teams where they've got a lot of young, hungry dog type players. They're all looking to kind of make a name for themselves in the NBA. And this is kind of one of those teams where it's going to give them the freedom to, to do that and do that a high level, possibly being a high level play in team or even like a six seed. Brian, as the dude with the, with the Memphis heritage post poster in the background, I, I got to take this one real quick. I'm, I'm loving this one because Memphis is one of these teams that, I mean, I love John Morant a year before he actually came out. So in terms of, this guy being on the uptick, this is a guy who's slowly but surely improving. I think a lot of people view last year as a little bit of a down second year for him. But I think the thing that people need to take into account is that the breakout year for a guard is always the third year. It's it's a weird, it's a weird science, but it's this idea of the freshman season is show me what you got. What are you good at? What are you bad at? Go from there. Season two for them, the sophomore year, the sophomore slump, as most people usually put it, is the idea that the league has a little bit of tape on you. They figured out what you like to do. They figured out what you struggle with, and they try to exploit that at its fullest potential. And I think that that was something that came to fruition last year with Jaw. the main thing being the three-point shot. Ryan, we harped on that pretty heavily in the past, talking about the the swing skill for Jaw being that three-pointer. And this year, we saw it a little bit in the preseason, so I don't want to gas it too much because it's still a little early to judge. But the fact that he is getting a lot more um, willing to shoot the three coming off of these screens, um, not being afraid of guys going under and taking the opportunity to really step back and launch, I think is a huge step forward. Thomas, one of the biggest things you mentioned that's more important to me than anything, though, is Triple J. Um Lord, the dude hasn't been on the floor in a minute, and and people view him as like the breakout player of this season. Um, at least from the GM polls, he was one of the five guys who got like the most votes for like a guy who could really have a coming out party this year. As a guy who can be a stretch big, he's put in a position now where he's the definition of the two way player in the front yeah. court for them. You know that was Jonas Valanciunas for a while by moving him to um, New Orleans in exchange for Steven Adams. Now you have the enforcer in Steven Adams from the defensive end, and you allow Jaron to be more of an offensive threat. You allow him to play the four, which is what all these centers want to do nowadays is, you know, if we could, if we could convince them that it was just all fours in the front court, I think everybody would be happy. But nonetheless, they're in a position now where Jaron can naturally be in that position in the starting lineup, and it works in his benefit. Um, as, a, as a guy who is a proponent for the Justice Winslow pickup, I, I am with you. <laughs> I have to concede that I think that moving on from him was very smart. And um, by getting a guy in Zaire Williams in the draft in exchange for that, I think was also pretty huge because I think you got a at, at his top end, if he realizes himself, you got a better version of, I think, what you expected from 
Winslow, being a guy who can be a ball handling wing, shoot the three a little bit. And I think the biggest thing that might have been more important is them sending Grayson Allen to Milwaukee. And I think I think he's going to I think Grayson is going to do good in Milwaukee. But they pretty much took the ball out of Taylor Jenkins court in terms of loving to play Grayson over DeAnthony Melton, who is like actually pretty solid for them and was really good from them for on, on a plus minus basis for them last year. Hey, Taylor, now you got to play him. Look, <laughs> that one is out of the room now. So I think that that's going to be huge. We're not going to get Dylan Brooks at the beginning of the season, um, at least in the early stages due to injury. But I think it's going to be uh, – I, I think this is going to be a really solid team. Ryan, I'm going to try not to ramble on them too much longer. Where do you stand on Memphis, bro? I, I think this is a team that – for a team that's continued to improve in, in Morant's tenure, you know, I mean, I, I understand this is only year three. But as a team that, first of all, started coming off the grit and grind era way stronger than anticipated, and then to do what they did last year, the fact that people still view them as knocking on the play-in tournament feels a little bit odd to me. But where do you stand, Ryan? First of all, Memphis did something that Phoenix hasn't done yet, which is lock up their starting center with a contract extension. So. Yeah, so there's God. that. And then, I mean, you look at this team, and I said this already before, this team just gets incrementally better. If you remember John Morant's first season, this team should have been a playoff team but barely missed the playoffs because the Blazers went crazy in the bubble and made that late, made that late run to help them secure the eight seed. Last year, this team ends up making the playoffs through the play-in tournament, and they beat the Golden State Warriors, which was huge. This year, I think they're a playoff lock. I think if I, I have to pin them in anywhere, I think it's anywhere between 6 and 10. I think Memphis's ceiling is so high this year that they could make a dark horse-type run in the playoffs, especially with the way that John Morant's been playing. But also, this team could be a very dangerous three-point shooting team next year. If John Morant continues to improve from three, I think that's going to be the big thing to watch out for. This team could be very dangerous. And you also have great three-point shooters like Desmond Bain, who I think will get more playing time with Grayson Allen's departure. De'Anthony Melton, who improved on three-point shooting. He shot 28.6% in 2019 in the 2020 season. And then last year, he shot 41% from three. So I feel like he's getting he's getting better. Triple J, I think he's going to be a solid three-point a solid three-point shooter if he can get healthy, if he can stay healthy this year. So this team definitely has a lot of weapons. I think Steven Adams is an interesting addition. Um, I just think that he's not the same player as Jonas Valanciunas on offense, but he's a nice lob threat for John Morant. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what this team looks like this year. Dylan Brooks, I think with him being out for the early st- for the early parts of this season, I think that might allow Desmond Bain to get even more playing time than what he's already getting. So I think that this team just has a lot of interesting factors. So yeah, Ryan, I love that you brought up the uh, the three point shooting and their depth. I think another good point about Memphis Grizzlies depth this season specifically is that a lot of their younger guys. When you have a lot of young players, you expect a lot of mistakes, but their younger guys are the kind of guys that don't necessarily make mistakes. You know, you're maybe tenth, eleventh. 12th best player is like Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, right? Those guys are solid. They don't make mistakes. And when you get into a 
playoff type situation. I love that you said uh, they could be a dark horse team because when you don't make mistakes, such in the way that the Memphis Grizzlies don't really make mistakes, that could be a really interesting team. Steven Adams, another one of those guys where he he's kind of, he does Steven Adams things. He doesn't uh, mess up. He doesn't make any sort of mistakes in a, in a playoff scenario. That's exactly what you want. You don't really need uh, a Jonas Valanciunas. And I, I think that they, I, I mean, whatever you think about Jonas versus Steven Adams, Steven Adams is still going to be a great fit for this team and a great fit for this roster. Yeah, so I think that, you know, to kind of round out Memphis, I, I just view them as one of those teams that, you know, from a young standpoint in the Western Conference, as a team, as a team that definitely falls on the young spectrum across the league, the Western Conference is an odd spot to be in because a lot of those teams are in win now mode. But I think that the one benefit that they have more than anything, and Thomas, you mentioned this beforehand, um, and I'm kind of just going to reinforce it, is the fact that their depth is so significant across the board. I think that that will play so much of a factor in terms of where they finish in the regular season because there's going to be a lot of these teams in the West that are just, let's get to the playoffs. Let's just make sure we end up in the playoffs. Let's just make sure we're not picking in the lottery. And Memphis can do that without necessarily having to take an off night, so to speak. So I think that's going to be a really intriguing thing to keep up with as well. It's just the fact that they they got players out the wazoo. But Thomas, you have one more team for us before we get to our players. Who's the last team we're going to talk about? All right, last team. Uh, last team, team to watch uh, was the LA Lakers. And I, I put them in because you know what? Last year, they had a lot of injuries. They were seventh seed. LeBron, the year before in the bubble, they won the championship. But the year before that, again, the Lakers didn't really have a great season. LeBron went down with injury. We saw uh, Brandon Ingram, Julius Randle, and Lonzo Ball exit the team. Uh, and, and now we've kind of got this. This is kind of the season for the Lakers, right? When you look at it, people have been calling them a contender for three years, but they really have only been a, an actual contender for one year uh, or one season, I guess. They made basically the biggest or maybe second biggest. I don't know if you how big uh, you consider Kyle Lowry to the Heat. They made the but they made one of the biggest moves in Russell Westbrook coming to the Lakers. And I think especially this season, the way they're going to use Russell Westbrook in the regular season is going to be really interesting to see how he fits beside LeBron and Anthony Davis, because I don't know, let's be realistic. He doesn't have the best fit for for this team, but he is a great talent. And because injuries were such a problem for them last year, I see Russell Westbrook actually taking a like a good amount of the uh, load on offense and defense, taking that load off of LeBron, letting LeBron play at like 60, 70 percent every single night so that Russell Westbrook can do his thing, uh, keeping Anthony Davis healthy as an extension of that. And I, I see that the the Lakers, you know, they're a contender, but I don't think people really have them over the Bucks or over the Nets. And I, I think that watching them this season, watching how they how they use Russell Westbrook and the rest of their veterans that they kind of added, they got a new identity to shape. So we'll, we'll see how they fit into this role of they basically they went from a defensive team the past three years to now having a lot of veterans where maybe they aren't the best on defense. So they're going to have to slide into this new sort of team identity as well. So I think that 
There's a lot of little underrated underlying storylines for this regular season. Uh, LeBron being like 36 years old is another one. And I, I just think that the LA Lakers are going to be one of those teams where we, we should really just, just keep an eye on them out there. Ryan, would you like to take this first or would you like me to? You can go first on this one. Okay, so Thomas, you picked the team that me and Ryan uh, have the most controversial takes on in terms of uh, the kind of uh, responses responses we've gotten uh, from guests on the pod. So I'm going to ask you two questions, and then I'm going to hit you with the controversial take. So the first question is, with the current roster that they have, do you think that, as we've seen in years past, like you mentioned beforehand, that this will be a top 10 level defense? Uh, this roster, no, I don't think they're going to be a top 10 defense. Okay. So that's the first thing that I, that I take into consideration. The second thing is, and I mentioned this a little bit when I was talking about Memphis, considering the circumstances of their roster, age, preserving Anthony Davis, especially LeBron James, who, I mean, by the end of this season will be 37 by the midway point of this season, actually, um, by, uh, by the end of December. So we'll be 37. You factor in that. Russell Westbrook is on the other side of 30. Carmelo Anthony is on the other side of 30. Kind of go down that list of their roster in terms of guys that are on the other side. Do you think that they're going to take the regular season seriously? Uh, I do think they're going to take the regular season seriously and that they're going to be playing guys like Russell Westbrook to take the, the regular season seriously. I think that he's going to play that workhorse role and that it'll allow their other guys to kind of take a step back. Okay, That's, that's kind of how I see it. So I'm going to take that point and I'm still going to I'm still going to make the statement because I still think this point is important because Russell Westbrook is a guy who can win or lose your games. We saw him will a Wizards roster to the playoffs or at least help will a Wizards roster to the playoffs next to Bradley Beal last year in a relatively easier Eastern Conference, at least in terms of the the prospectus of last year. This year is a completely different animal, but at least last year he was able to will them into the play in. Um, and then eventually into the playoffs. My thought process on this with the Lakers are, I think at best they're going to top out as a fifth seed in the, in the West. I think that their best case scenario is that they top out around five. But I would not be surprised, and this is how, this is how I'm going to phrase it this way to kind of pull back a little bit of the controversy. I would not be surprised if this was a playing team again is basically how I view this squad. And the reason why is because, A, I don't think that this team, I personally don't think that this team is going to take the regular season that seriously. The reason why I say that is because they fall into the category of, if we get to the playoffs, we're going to be dangerous. I said that they're going to, they they have the chance of ending up in the play-in tournament again. I didn't say that they're not still a top two contender, top two, top three contender out of the West, though. I think if they get into the playoffs on a 17-game Road to the road to the glory. I think that this is one of the most dangerous teams in the league. But over an 82 game stretch, I fear that it's going to be more about just getting through the journey than it is necessarily making some kind of regular season statement throughout the way. The second thing is, like you mentioned beforehand, I genuinely don't know how to feel about their defense. Um, I think Golden State, at least as currently constructed is the least of their worries in terms of offensive juggernauts during the regular season. I think there's a couple of teams just in the West alone that are going to be extremely lethal 
from an offensive standpoint that they're going to have to deal with. And Steph Curry put up a triple-double his first since 2016 on them the other night. I don't want to gas up opening night too much. They are 0-7, you know, basically start this year if you count the preseason. But, hey, they also played, like, the most preseason games out of anybody this year. So, again, don't want to gas it too much. But my thought process is between the combination of the regular season being maybe not as important and the fact that I don't think that Frank Vogel is going to be able to muster up a top 10 defense the way he's been able to do in the past with the with, with a roster like this, I think they're going to get through the regular season through the skin of their teeth. Before I go to Ryan, because Ryan's heard me say this a million times already, what are your thoughts on that? Because, like again, this is one of those things that we get a lot of pushback for, but I kind of stand pretty firm on it. I can see what you're saying. I do have to push back a little bit. Uh, Okay. If you're listening to Colin Cowherd regularly, you'll hear him say this a lot, and that's that nothing is everything, but everything is something, Mm -hmm. right? So that 0-6 preseason, that's not the whole story, but it is something. Right. And this, uh, you know, you see Russell Westbrook last night, three for 12. And uh, I think you had a good amount of uh, turnovers or fouls, some, some other really poor statistic. That is not everything. That is not the whole story, but it is something. I, I, I don't necessarily see them taking the regular season off or taking it not very seriously. I, I think that, you know, LeBron James himself, he's kind of mastered playing at around 60 to 70% of LeBron James during the regular season. I think he's one of those players where you, you watch him play he doesn't really like move a ton. He doesn't really like exert himself a lot. And he's still able to have a really impactful uh, like game that that's just how he plays the game at age 36, 37. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to have to see. I do think that they are going to slide a bit in the standings in the regular season, just because they aren't going to have that defense. They're going to have to, you know, sort of get a new identity. They've got like almost all of their players are, are new players. I think, I think it was, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Taylor Horton Tucker were the only players from last season that are now on the Lakers this season. That is actually a huge deal, right? That's that's an entire overhaul of the roster. You had Dwight Howard coming back from two years ago, but other than that, it's all like newer players. And, you know, there's going to be some weird fitting lineups as well. We got Rajon Rondo and Russell Westbrook can't play at the same time. How are you going to have Carmelo Anthony on the floor with Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James? All four of those guys want the ball in their hands. It's going to be a weird fitting team. So I think that the I, I do think that the 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 playoff version of the Lakers is going to be a lot more dangerous than the regular season version of the Lakers, uh, simply because they have so many like dudes who are just dudes. If if I pick any eight players off the Lakers and said like do you feel comfortable putting that playing them in the playoffs I would say yes to about 12 or 13 of their currently rostered players depending on your opinion of like Trevor Ariza or like Kent Bazemore other than that like these are are all guys that I I would feel really comfortable playing in a in a playoff scenario so I I see what you're saying I do think that five seed is a little bit high I I think that if you, you really do have to put the Lakers as uh, four seed or above for, for this uh, for this season. Okay. I mean, it's like I said, it's fair. It's one of those things that's been kind of tricky because at the end of the day, 
And Brian, before I pass it off to you, I'm just going to kind of say it like this. At the end of the day, from a top-end talent standpoint, it's hard to deny. But the things that I factored in, obviously, is a chemistry aspect. First of all, any new LeBron James team, which is starting to feel like every year at this point in terms of roster construction, takes a little while to be able to put itself together. From a play, t- from, from a play style standpoint, it took LeBron James a pretty long while to be able to coexist with a guy like Dwayne Wade, who I think from an overall skill set standpoint is a much easier player to mesh with than Russell Westbrook, because I wouldn't say that Dwayne was a dead eye shooter by any chance, but he was at least a much more significant threat from beyond the arc, especially with the fact that, you know, outside of being able to step away um, and shoot from distance, he also was able to keep the ball in his hands significantly, something that at least as of so far, and for most of his career, Russell Westbrook struggles in the turnover department. So that was that was the first thing. And then the second thing, of course, like I said beforehand, from a health standpoint, I think you're going to try to play this for the long game. I think that I don't think you you obviously cannot guarantee that everybody comes out of this season, um, you know, at least without a gimp. But I do think that they're going to try to put themselves in the best position to go into the playoffs healthy because they saw that last season, that late that late season push. It took a lot out of the team, and we end up missing significant star power from a lot of teams come playoff time. And I think that they have – I think them, of all people, with the, the age across their roster are going to take that into, like, significant account. So, R- Ryan, like I said, we discussed this a lot, but, you know, Thomas is the first time we're on the show. I don't know if he's listened to any of the past episodes. What are your thoughts on the Lakers? I know that me and you actually are on a very similar wavelength with this team, uh, but what are, what are your thoughts on this Lakers team? So I've made my thoughts known about the roster construction of this team. I don't like it. It makes no sense. And I'll say it once and I'll say it again. I've said it once and I'll say it again. This team is a playing team. This team finishes anywhere between seven and 10. Um, I would not be surprised if halfway through the season, if the Lakers are below 500 entirely or like a game or two above 500 that LeBron goes in the GM mode before the trade deadline and reconstructs this roster again, because this team I'll say it again, makes no sense. What, what, like Russell Westbrook as your starting point guard is already not a great shooter, but I watched him last night go four for 13 and zero for four from three. Don't let him shoot the ball. And you already can't, have Russell Westbrook and LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same floor. So you have to supplement that with Rajon Rondo coming on the floor, which he's a very good point guard. He's a very good floor general. He likes to run the offense, but I just do not like the construction of this team. He's probably better as a starting point guard leading the second unit, but you can't have them on the same floor together because chemistry wise, it makes no sense. Also, the injuries to this team, you look at Trevor Ariza, who is arguably their best defender. He's out. Kedrick Nunn, who was their their one of their new free agent acquisitions. He's kind of been an inconsistent shooter throughout his career. He's out. Taylor Horton Tucker, who just got a big contract with the Lakers, too. He's out, and he, he was supposed to be another deadly scoring threat coming off the bench for this team. And like I mentioned, he's out. Carmelo Anthony on the defensive side is not as good, but on the offensive side will give you buckets. I think on the second unit is where he'll thrive more instead of being in the starting lineup. And look, this team will win games 
if Anthony Davis is healthy. Because you saw last night, the way Anthony Davis was playing, he was dominating out there. And if he can be healthy, this team can make a deadly run in the playoffs. But I'm not banking on Anthony Davis being healthy. And the other problem that I have is this, other than the roster construction, I mean, Russell Westbrook, his turnover rate, again, we, I know this is the same old story with Russell Westbrook where he's not that great of a shooter and he turns the ball over a lot, but he had four turnovers again last night. And I know this is the first game of the season, but I think the big thing for the Lakers, they'll have to rely on some of these younger players to help win them a lot of their games. I don't think LeBron's playing 82 games this year. If he is, he's playing on reduced minutes. Um, so I think – they're really going to have to rely on Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker and some of the other younger players that, uh, that they signed or drafted. Um, you know, Austin Reeves was a guy coming out of Oklahoma, definitely has a lot of upside as a three-point shooter. So I think that could be very interesting to see what he does going forward for this team. Um, I know they also signed Shondi Brown, um, and he was undrafted for Michigan. So I think he could be an interesting guy on this roster. But I'm not – sure where this team finishes as a as a championship contending team i'm not sure i I know this team is a playing team they finish anywhere from seven to ten i think this team wins anywhere between 40 to 45 games but you i just don't i just don't understand how there is a contender argument for the los angeles lakers I mean, that that might be where you lose me a little bit just out of the fact that I think there is an argument for them because the top end talent is significant. And again, through a 16 game run, I mean, we've seen it. I mean, in an Eastern Conference where it was moderately good, we've seen LeBron James led teams that were like at least pretty solid lead themselves to the finals on his back. I don't think you can ask LeBron James to do that moving forward, like, you know, virtuoso-esque. But I think that he can at least, alongside a guy like Anthony Davis and a guy like Russell Westbrook, have that ability. So I think the argument is just that their top-end talent is too good in a, in a you know, in a seven-game series against um, other teams in the Western Conference, especially with none of those other Western Conference teams, like, being as stacked, you know, talent-wise, at, at least at the top, as the Lakers are. Um, Thomas, something that was brought up on the uh, on TNT last night, you know, Charles Barkley and, you know, you have to mince his words very carefully. But one thing that I thought was really important that he said was that, you know, he made the joke about, you know, this team goes as street clothes goes. And he was talking about Anthony Davis and it was more so about him being on the floor. And he was saying that he needs to play as a top five caliber player if this team is going to, you know, really be able to stay afloat especially during the regular season, but if they really are looking to be, you know, championship contenders. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of the kind of weight, you know, on Anthony Davis's shoulders this season? And um, like overall, I, I know you that you mentioned that they're more of like a top four team in the West to you, but like, where do you feel they land overall in the championship spectrum across both con- conferences? Uh, well, in terms of, I think that Ryan brings up a great point, actually, in that their regular season is going to be a different story from the postseason. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a continuing storyline for the Lakers that they might not be a great regular season team. But once the uh, games start to matter, it's gonna we're going to see a, a rapid increase in their effort and in their production. Um, 
in terms of Anthony Davis being healthy, I think it's an interesting case because the best player on your team is LeBron James still. I, I know that there were earlier people were saying that, oh, Anthony Davis should be able to surpass LeBron James. I don't know if that's going to happen this season. In terms of production, Anthony Davis is going to be have, have to be your biggest producing team or player because you, LeBron James is older. He will want to play on a minutes restriction. He is going to be careful to avoid injury. And Russell Westbrook, again, is also older and we really don't know what kind of production we're going to be getting out of Russell Westbrook. He tends to be a little hit and miss. Uh, in terms of like Anthony Davis staying healthy, I think an interesting little thing is that he did kind of look like he bulked up this season. He, he kind of looked like he gained a little bit of weight. Uh, I mean, look, as a, as a student athlete myself, I know what it's like to gain some weight. You, you play differently, right? You, when you're 220 pounds, you play different from when you're like 230 or 40 pounds, right? you got different strengths and different weaknesses in terms of like this sort of physical profile. Anthony, this is going to be the first time that Anthony Davis is playing at this weight in his entire career. And he's going to be playing differently because of that. So we, I want to see what kind of changes he makes over a extended period of time. And if that is conducive to more injuries or less injuries or, you know, how that, affects his production as a, as a Los Angeles Laker. Yeah. So I think overall, I'm definitely looking forward to what the Lakers do this season, just because, I mean, we know they're going to be the talk of the town because the Lakers, they have LeBron James and they're one of the, you know, better teams in terms of, you know, talent in the West. So, I mean, that'll be a team that everybody's going to be paying attention to, but I think how they run the regular season is going to be really intriguing. Cause I think a lot of people view their talent as reflecting in the standings as well. And I, just don't think they're going to play their cards that way. But um, Thomas, we're going to move on to the the player aspect of this. And I know you, I know you're uh, you know running on a certain type of schedule, so we don't want to take up too much of your time. So we'll try to knock out at least three of these guys. Let's start with the first guy that you got on this list. Is somebody to keep your eye on this season? Okay. Yes, I think three is a is a great number. Uh, my first player, and he kind of had a little bit of development uh, yesterday or the day before, so that kind of inspired me to put him on this list. And that is Marvin Bagley III. I think that he is a really interesting, underrated player. Look, I've been a Warriors fan my whole life, but Sacramento has always been in my backyard. And quite frankly, when KD went, came to the Warriors, and I knew that the Warriors were be winning championship after championship, I kind of started rooting for the Kings because, you know, it was a little more interesting to root for a team that's not as good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so Marvin Bagley is one of those players where it came out uh, I guess yesterday, the day before that he is a, like officially out of the rotation. Like he, they are, they're not going to be including him off the bench. I, I don't really know what that means. Like they're, I, I can't imagine they're just not going to play a player like Marvin Bagley, but he'll get on the floor at some point, but uh, officially he is out of the rotation, which is kind of in, like, I think he does get a lot of hate. And I think a lot of that is valid, but you've got a, a, a bona fide talent on your team and you're just like, nah, we're not going to play him. I think that there is some sort of Luke Walton elements to that. I think there's some sort of like, we're not sure if we want to trade you or not elements to that. And I do see Marvin Bagley, if he gets off the Kings or gets significant minutes uh, elsewhere or on the Kings, I, I, I think you'll surprise a few people compared to the narrative that has surrounded him in this in his career uh, so far, Thomas, 
I'm just going to put it this way. The minute that you said that coach's name, because that's the only way I can put it at this point, that coach, the minute you said that <laughs> man's name, I, I think you told us everything you needed to know. And as a guy, you know, Bulls fan at heart, I, I have a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. I, I'm, I'm really I'm really out here on this East Coast, uh, you know, side of things for the NBA. But as a guy who's a big Bulls fan, I had to live through uh, the, the Jim Boylan era. Yes. And um, one of those guys who had to suffer from a big standpoint was a guy who actually played right next to Marvin Bagley at Duke and Wendell Carter Jr. Now, from my perspective, and he wasn't under Billy Donovan for long, so that's why it's kind of hard to really gauge this, but he was good enough in terms of being able to get an extension with the Magic before Mo Bamba did. You know what I mean? And um, and he showed enough signs in that perspective. And this is a guy that they could have drafted. Wendell Carter was a guy they could have drafted, and they selected Mo Bamba, I think, three picks prior in that same 2018 class. So in terms of your thoughts on Marvin Bagley, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Our guy Carson, big Sacramento fan that we had for the Western Conference breakdown, he would probably – give you a little bit of pushback, but I think he would also concede that Luke Walton has so much to do with the development of all these guys in a way that just like, I don't think you're ever going to be able to actualize what Sacramento could become as long as he's the guy, you know, running the show. You have De'Aaron Fox, you have Tyrese Halliburton, you have uh, Rashawn Holmes. Um, I, I think, I mean, I mean, I don't know how long Buddy Hill stays on this team. That's a tricky thing. I mean, he's been in trade talks for like the last two years, but I like Harrison Barnes still. Um, I, I think they've got a decent roster across, uh, across the board. They brought in off night out of Baylor. I think that's going to be a big deal as well. Um, talking about Davion Mitchell. I, I just think that this team could be a lot better if that guy wasn't the coach. And I think that Marvin Bagley could be a true core rotational guy as part of that. But he's not, you know, and we've seen this multiple times. Kyle Kuzma is better since Luke Walton. Brandon Ingram's better since Luke Walton. My guy Lonzo Ball for the Bulls, better. Across the board, we've seen this jump take place post-Luke. So I don't know when Sacramento's going to get a clue on that. But um, I-, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Ryan, I- any thoughts on Marvin Bagley? So Marvin Bagley's been pretty consistent in his first couple years as an NBA player somebody who's put up 14 and seven um, he's averaged that for about three years in a row. So there is that level of consistency that you like to see, but I feel like you can unlock the potential of Marvin Bagley with a, a, with a new coach in a new system. So I can understand why his agent wants him out of Sacramento, especially after he's not being featured in the, in the rotation as much. Um, I think that's going to be very another very interesting King storyline going forward, considering, like you mentioned, Buddy Heald's been in trade talks for what seems like forever at this point. So I think there's a chance that maybe maybe Marvin Bagley ends up on a different team uh, at some point in this season. Yeah, Thomas, um, before I move on to your next player, the, the other thing I want to get from you really quick is just your quick thoughts on Sacramento as a team. Uh, you know, I think that that I was just thinking about that. I was trying to remember the coach before Luke Walton. And there was there was something that I saw where the numbers that they had under the coach before they had Luke Walton, their pace numbers, their like production, it was all up and then it went down under Luke Walton. So the team as a whole is kind of suffering from this guy. 
which I think is really unfortunate. He was a Warriors guy at the beginning of his career. Uh, but I mean, it's kind of straight up. This guy can't coach. So we have to see what's going to happen. Uh, hopefully they move off of him. I know they just extended the guy though. So I don't really see that ever happening uh, anytime soon. And I, I don't know. I, I just, there's a lot of really fun young guys in the Kings. It's not just Marvin Bagley. I, I'm a deer and Fox guy. I'm a Davion Mitchell guy. I love Tyrese Halliburton. So we're going to have to see. And I really hope that some of these guys, they either get a competent head coach to, to maybe make some, make some, some noise in Sacramento or uh you know hopefully some of these guys can get off the team so we can actually see them fall out somewhere else yeah Dave Yeager I think was the guy um for them a couple of seasons ago um and there were problems in there were problems in the locker room involving the coach in terms of him being a little bit of a hardhead but he got them to play I mean that's that's without a doubt but um who's your next player to keep an eye on All right, next player. I wanted to. I know you had mentioned you're a Bulls fan, so you're gonna like this because I want to talk about uh, uh, Lonzo Ball here. And I not. I know he's not underrated, right? It, it, we we know that Lonzo Ball is Lonzo Ball, but at the same, like I think in terms of his impact to specifically the Bulls roster is a little underrated. Uh, we've heard a lot about how their defense isn't that great. We we heard a lot about how uh, you, you know they're going to be a little bit of a weird one-dimensional fit. I do think Lonzo Ball goes a long way in alleviating a lot of those problems, not just on the off-ball stuff that he does in the offense so that, you know, the ball can be more in the hands of DeMar DeRozan, Vucevic, and uh, Zach Levine. But on the defensive end, I mean, a little on-ball defense from Lonzo Ball is going to go a long way in terms of, in terms of what they would be as a defensive team without Lonzo Ball. Having Lonzo Ball on the floor for – 30 minutes a night is actually going to be extremely valuable to where they end up in the defensive rankings uh, when the season ends. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing with Lonzo is just the fact that, and you know, again, I hate gassing up the preseason, but we watched him guard former bull Laurie marketing and did a pretty good job on him as a guy who has significant, I wouldn't say too significant, but significant height uh, difference uh, between the two. DeMar DeRozan's played some four for San Antonio. And I think playing with San Antonio actually like, taught us a lot more about like who DeMar DeRozan can be if you truly unlock him. He was a big time facilitator for that team, a guy who played the one through five over the course of his two to three seasons with San Antonio. I think they're going to be a lot better defensively. I think Zach Levine, there's this thing, and I mentioned this kind of earlier um, about something else, but there's this thing, uh, I mentioned it about like third year players. There's also this thing about coming off the Olympics. Um, that does something to people. And, uh, you know, I, I predict that Keldon Johnson is a guy who I think is going to have a big year. And I think that not only has a lot to do with, you know, moving DeMar DeRozan, but I think his experience around top end players and being in that system around those guys on a big stage like that is going to translate really well for Keldon, who I think is going to have to take a really big step for San Antonio. I think the same could be said for a guy like Zach Levine, who's in a contract year, who's looking to be in a position to be the Bulls franchise guy, hopefully, because as a guy who has been sweating it all offseason about the fact that we couldn't give him an extension if we wanted to build around him. Now we're going to be going all year hoping that he wants to come back. So Fingers crossed on that. But when it comes to Alonzo, I think that he just provides everything as a as a point guard next to Zach Levine that you need. I've, I've been under this assumption. I've mentioned this to Ryan on and off camera a couple of times. 
I don't know if they track this stat, but I think we're going to lead the league in backdoor, bu- uh, backdoor buckets. I think we literally, I mean, just as a team that has a lot of passers, as a guy like uh, Lonzo that really is really good at feeding guys, and you have cutters on this team, team like Zach Levine that are going to be really good. I think this is our first real facilitating point guard that he's improving as a three-point shooter. I think Lonzo is everything that the Bulls have kind of needed for a while and they've tried to like turn Kobe White into I think now that we flesh things out with Alex Caruso Kobe White can be like a natural two guard on the coming off the bench Ryan doesn't have to hear me soak about having big time minutes from Ryan Archie Diacono anymore and like I think I think Lonzo's pickup is is way way deeper than just what he does on the floor I think it helps the depth chart Ryan yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that continuity-wise, it makes sense to have Lonzo on the floor next to Zach Levine. I think that his ability to shoot the three will be interesting because I think that's it, that's an aspect of his game that is, continu- is continually improving. And I won't be surprised if I see a lot of assist numbers go up for Lonzo. I mean, he's, he's always kind of been an all-around player, and he's always had high statistics in – you know, points, rebounds, and assists. So I wouldn't be surprised if those numbers continue to go up. Um, I just think it'll be interesting to see who actually runs point guard for this team because we've seen a little of Lonzo ball running point guard. Caruso's brought the ball up a couple times. We mentioned the versatility with DeMar DeRozan being able to play the one through the four. I think it's just going to be interesting because they have a lot of guys who can actually run the floor. So I think Billy Donovan could get really creative with these lineups. All right, Thomas, last guy, real quick. Last guy. Okay. I, this is not necessarily an underrated player as well. He, I think he made an all star team two years ago. I know he didn't make it last year. And that is Brandon Ingram. I wanted to bring him up because I think that with Zion out to start the season, uh, we're going to see a lot more from Brandon Ingram, obviously, because like he is naturally where the offensive load kind of falls on, but also because Quite frankly, like when you watch uh, Pelicans games, the fit with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram isn't the greatest. You've got a new head coach, uh, Willie Green, and quite like having the ball in Brandon Ingram's hands is going to be like something that we haven't necessarily seen. And and Brandon Ingram, like being able to play that he wants to play, it's going to be something that we haven't necessarily seen before. And I, I'm just really excited. This is a guy who every single season takes a step forward in his development. And I'm really interested to see kind of that in between that mid range game, that like all these little half court uh, sets, half court possessions that Brandon Ingram is going to get with Zion Williamson out. Uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, role for him. And maybe he's sort of a mid season trade target. Or if, if Zion Williamson, because I know there have been rumblings in the past where he isn't necessarily the most satisfied with the Pelicans front office. So I think that Brandon Ingram might be a really interesting pivot direction for the Pelicans in the future if we see now what he is able to do with the ball in his hands. My quick thoughts to that is just that last point is a really great one. I think that this time without Zion Williamson is going to be really intriguing in terms of seeing what they can do, maximizing him. They've got interesting guys like Nikhil, Trey Murphy around him that I think are going to help with spreading the floor and creating a more offensive driven team. And I think they can really lean into that. I hope Willie Green actually leans heavily into it as well. So, I mean, 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see what a Brandon Ingram-led team looks like. Um, Ryan, final thoughts on uh, Brandon Ingram? Yeah, I think that Brandon Ingram will definitely get a lot of time to shine without Zion. And I think it's going to be good for him because I'm not 100% sure what his status is on this team. I know he signed a big contract with the New Orleans Pelicans, but there is a good chance that he could easily find himself on the find himself on the trade market. I think that this is a player that has great value to a championship team. This is a guy who's easily putting up 24 points per game a night. So I think that's it's so interesting to see in a a, a great scorer like Brandon Ingram on New Orleans Pelicans. And I think it'll be interesting to see if he not only stays in New Orleans, but if New Orleans ends up trading him, because we don't know what the status of New Orleans as a team is right now. We don't really know wh- where their fit is in the Western Conference. So I think it's, it's going to be very interesting to see him play and if he ends up staying in New Orleans or if he gets traded. Well, Thomas, that's that's our listings for today. Um, it was really great having you on. We love having new guests on, getting new perspectives. Um, what we like to do, when, especially when we bring new guests on, is final thoughts from you, um, whether it's about what you're working on currently, you know, current life situation, any changes going on, uh, promote your content. Floor is yours to speak on whatever you want to close out here, man. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm Thomas Christian, lead reporter for GoatedNBANews.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram, News. Just type that in the search bar. You'll find me. Uh, We've got an article dropping today. Every Wednesday and Sunday, we drop articles. So today is going to be, is DeAndre Ayton worth the max? We talked about it on the show here. And uh, I'm going to be following it up with a more of an in-depth analysis on DeAndre Ayton. I also try to keep the articles a little bit more on the lighter side, a little bit more on the shorter side. So don't think you're getting into some 30 minute marathon read here. That's not what we're about at Go to NBA News. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, check out. We, we are we have a live show hosted by Warzone Sports Network every Friday at 4.05 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So go check that out. You can type into the comments and I see them as they come in. So you can ask me questions on the show live. It's a little annoying, but I, I try to stay on topic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're go to NBA news.com. So just check us out. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yes, sir. Well, like, like Ryan said at the top of the show, you know, we're going to include that stuff in the description, whether it's on, you know, Apple podcasts, uh, Spotify, or, I mean, people can catch us on YouTube now. That's kind of a new thing for season three here on the HTP, but Ryan, Take us out of here, my brother. Yes, sir. Thank you again to Thomas Christian of Goaded NBA News for coming on and talking some NBA basketball with us and transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. Which team do you believe is underrated and who are some underrated players entering the NBA season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.